Welcome to the My Why Podcast, where educational storytellers Jesse Mann and Kristen Travers discuss identity-defining moments with special guests. Inspiration ensues. So before we start today, we want to give the beautiful Inside and Out Jess Tatu from Just For You Day Spas a huge thank you for taking over our social media on the weekend. Jess is one of Canada's most powerful women and a winner of so many awesome awards, very deserved awards, and we are very humbled to call her a friend. She hosted an awesome giveaway and answered questions for followers all day, which turned into two days. So thank you, Jess. And we encourage you to grab some of those spa gift sets from JFY and listen to our launch podcast where Jess shared a little bit more on her story. We also want to say thank you to the Lloydminster Regional Health Foundation for sponsoring this episode. The foundation wants to send a big shout out to you, the listeners, for the support that you have shown the foundation that allows them to continue to provide frontline workers and patients with needed resources. If you're looking for ways to help out more, please consider donating to COVID-19 Emergency Fund. They will continue to support all frontline workers during this crisis. All right, everybody. So we're coming to you again via Zoom audio. So we're hoping that the audio is nice and crisp for you. And this is a long cast. It's two hours, but we go through all kinds of really important and impactful information. So we hope that you stay with us. And um, again, to feel free to pause it and come back another time. We talk about some pretty heavy things as well. So we're just hoping that you look after yourself because there are some pretty sensitive topics. We're talking about everything from the Humboldt Bronco bus crash to everything COVID-19. Our guest today is someone pretty special, very special and endlessly special to my family and to thousands across our province and country. He is an internal medicine and ICU specialist and he is a Canadian and American board certified doctor. He is a proud Saskatchewan and Canadian resident. And when Kristen and I started the podcast, he was actually on my dream list to sit down with. Dr. Hassan Masri was my little brother's doctor almost a year ago when he was in a car accident. And he was also the doctor on call April 6, 2018, the night of the tragic Humboldt Bronco bus crash, which left 16 people who passed away and 13 were injured. He is immensely kind, ridiculously funny, but most importantly, I have witnessed with my own eyes how good of a doctor this man truly is. Currently, Dr. Masri is using his platform and sharing informational and important videos on his Instagram handle, at HassMaz, that's at H-A-S-S-M-A-Z, about everything COVID-19. And he is putting himself at risk every single day to help keep people alive, keep people connected with family, as well as he's reaching out to the community for tablets and devices so that people can connect virtually despite all of these physical restrictions. Dr. Masri is one of my heroes, and he is a hero to many. So without further ado, I just got the Jesse Mann podcast goosebumps. My why would like to welcome Dr. Masri. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for all these kind words that uh, uh, I am sh- like for sure not fully deserving of most of them, uh, but uh, I really appreciate your kindness. Well, no, uh, everything I said, I truly, truly mean. Um, I, I, it was a bit of a risk to say ridiculously funny because I know that you'll use that. Oh, that's the only one I deserve. (laughs) 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 So, um, so one of my first questions, one of our first questions is, I mean, I know you as a doctor for sure. And I've watched every video you've put out on social media about everything uh, related to COVID-19, which we'll get to, but I would like to just get to know you a little better. So 
can you start by sharing with us kind of the Coles Notes version of how and why your path led you to medicine? Yeah. So, um, you know, I think that my story towards medicine initially started to be a very ordinary story of a, you know, Middle Eastern uh, boy who looked at, it. you know, my uncle is a physician and in our culture or in our uh, background, uh, you are always taught, you know, to, you got to, when you grow up, you got to be a doctor, you got to be an engineer. Um, and uh, I looked at my uncle who actually happens to be a cardiologist down in Regina now. Um, and he was, he was my inspiration as a, as a little kid. I always looked up to him and, and he always seemed really smart. Um, when we, when we sat in family gatherings, he seemed to be like the guy that everybody wanted to talk to. Um, and he knew the answers to everything. Um, and people always reach out to him, um, when they had any question. But I also know that people used to reach out to him when they had like financial trouble or any kind of trouble. So, you know, I, I really liked that, that he wasn't just someone who answered people's questions about, you know, my throat hurts, but he was beyond that. Um, and so really growing up, I thought, okay, you know, I want, I want to be like that guy. Um, and, and even I remember sometime in, in like grade seven or eight, I uh, made my first email on Gmail. And, um, and I remember writing my, in my email was Dr. Haas, which happens to be the same email I now use like for my, for everything. Uh, and people think like, uh, Oh, like what a corny email you made Dr. Haas. But it's like, no, no, I didn't make it now. I made this like as a little kid thinking like Dr. Haas, that's what I'm going to be. Um, and, and, uh, and growing up, you know, that's, that's sort of how it started. And honestly, going through medical school initially, I thought, okay, well, this is, this is nice. It's challenging. You help people, etc. But it really didn't click for me until about 30 year of uh, medical school when I personally felt that I made a, a life-saving difference to an individual in the hospital, to a patient. And I thought, wow, like, this is, uh, it's not a joke. This is, uh, like, I just saved someone's life. Um, and it's like, it really, it really, like, that moment was like, wow, this is, like, this is really serious. Um, and, and from that moment on, I, I really think I found the value of what a physician is. Um, and, and, and for the most part, nobody except maybe two or three people knew that I actually made that difference. So that's the other thing is um, that I, I uh, as much as the social media thing and the attention that I get, um, and I seem to be an outgoing guy, actually, I, I'm quite uncomfortable with a lot of the attention that I get. <laughs> Um, and, uh, and, and, and one of the things that I really liked about that moment is that I felt like I made a huge difference. Nobody knew about it, um, except that individual and maybe two other people who were my supervisors. And it really gave a huge meaning to it. And from that moment on, um, I tried to, uh, be the, 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 the guy that I always looked up to in my uncle. So I tried to be beyond just the doctor um, that, uh, that, you know, okay, where, where's your chest pain? Where is it going? Where does it hurt? Um, cause to me, that's a medical technician, not a doctor. Mm -hmm, right. Um, and I, and I never want to be a medical technician. You know, I, I know that my uncle always used to tell us stories and he always seemed to know way more about the people that he's telling the story about than just, uh, their pain or aches or medication refills or something like that. Um, and now I really try to, as a, you know, a physician, I try to 
be that, that guy that I always looked up to. Um, and, and I try to teach the next generation, my residents, my medical students, the importance of, uh, of these things. So when I, I was just talking to one of my residents yesterday and I said, you know, when you go to the room, most people say, you know, they start getting into medical question and I always t- teach them, okay, first question has to be, how was your sleep? Right? Like you don't go into, imagine you, 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 you go to someone's house or someone's room and you say, where does it hurt? seems very weird in any other social uh, setting, except in the hospital, somehow that's normal thing. You walk in, you barge into someone's yeah. room, someone's residence, that's, that's their hotel room, and you say to them, how is your pain? It's like, whoa, what happened to, how are you, how's it going? You know, that, you would never do that in a, in a normal life. So um, I, I think that my story of beca- going into medicine is not as, doesn't sound as inspiring in the beginning, because honestly, it was a regular story. Uh, and like many other people who went into medicine because they wanted respect or status or whatever it is. But as, as I went through medicine, I start to find more meaning into it. Um, and I, I really do enjoy it more and more. Um, and I hope that I inspire others because I am truly inspired by many other people in the hospital myself. Yeah, that's amazing. Like, honestly, as a, a fellow healthcare professional, like that's what you want to hear is, who, who are you looking after, not what is your pain like or what, you know, you're only looking after the heart, you're looking after the whole person. So that's, that's amazing here. Yeah, go ahead, Jess. And that's one of my, that's one of my favorite things um, and what uh, I was just drawn to, I guess, um, mm-hmm. respecting you so much was you walked in the room and you, you literally shook everyone's hand around the table. You asked what the relationship was um, to everybody in the room and you took time. It, I, I, you know, you never felt rushed. You never felt, um, that this was, um, just about the medicine. This was about the person. And, uh, that is absolutely one of the most, my favorite things about you for sure. And another thing that is so cool about you is how proud of a Saskatoon, Saskatchewan resident you are. And you talk so much about the great people in, in the hospital you work in, in your city and that kind of thing. So tell us a little bit about, um, and share a little bit more about the great people that you get to see every day. You know, I, I, uh, I've, I've worked in, so I, I grew up in Toronto, um, and then I moved to the U.S., and I did my training um, in Baltimore, and I worked a little bit in New York and Chicago, um, and then I did my ICU training in Kingston, and then from Kingston, I came to Saskatoon. So I've, I wouldn't say I've been around the world, but I've been in different cities and different uh, environments and things like that, and Saskatoon probably is one of the... Um, and I have to be careful how I say this because I know many people when they come to Saskatoon, <laughs> it's the big city. Uh, but, uh, but Saskatoon for me is probably the smallest city I've ever worked in uh, or lived in or even visited. Um, but uh, but what, I, what struck me immediately about Saskatoon is that uh, common sense, you know, a lot of people say common sense is not common anymore. They have not been to Saskatchewan. Um, it's in abundance. Um, people... <laughs> here, practice common sense. And I have my own theory uh, that I'd like to prove one day. I think it has to do with that a lot of people in Saskatchewan come from a farming environment. Um, and farmers by nature and people who deal with nature, um, they have to respect common sense, right? You have to wear heavy clothing when it's cold. You have to wear wind, rain clothing when it's raining. You have to 
you know, uh, farm in appropriate timing. Mm -hmm. uh, you can't go against that environment. You can't say, you know, I'm going to plant seeds when it's minus 30. It's just not going to work. Um, and so I think the farming culture really instills common sense. Uh, but it's also a very tight knit community. I mean, um, I, I, it's been five years since I've moved to Saskatchewan. And every time I talk to someone, I don't know within about two minutes, they're like, Oh, like that's Jesse's like the girl, like it's like, yes, that's Jesse. <laughs> yes. So, so it's a very tight knit community. It's, 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 um, it, it, it's really, really close. And even, even prior to all of this, people like were really close and then people have respect for, uh, professionals here. And, and I'm not saying other people don't, other cities, but, you know, like many times the, the, my patients say, well, you're the doctor. Like, you, you tell me what's, uh, if you think it's <laughs> good, then, then do it. Like, you, why are you asking me? I mean, I appreciate you asking for permission, but like the decision is yours. You, you are that. So um, I really fell with that spirit because I do think that um, at the end of the day, sometimes it's really unfair to ask people who don't know a lot about a specific medical question to make a decision. It's like, you know, I remember when I go to like my mechanic and he starts naming three different brakes types and I'm like, sure. Like the one that stops the car. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, I appreciate you maybe giving me the prices and the general concept, but I don't really want to make that decision. Like, what do you think? I, I mean, I hope you're competent and I hope you're honest, right? Uh, and I hope all physicians are competent and honest because if they're competent and honest, and I hope that you give me the general options, explain things to me because I really believe that we need to educate people. Mm -hmm. uh, but at the end of the day, I really need you to kind of give me what, what do you think? What would you do if this was your mom? Um, so that kind of spirit is really obvious in Saskatchewan. Um, and it makes work to be very, very uh, comfortable, enjoyable. Um, and I always feel that I'm on the same team. You know, sometimes in the United States when I worked there, I felt like it was me versus them versus the insurance company. It felt like there was three teams playing in that room. And like, you can't take care of someone and be on different teams at all. It just makes it, mm -hmm. I cannot do anything if you don't trust me. If you don't trust mm -hmm. me, then every move, every medication, every order is gonna be like, well, why did you do that? Why did you do that? Why did you do that? Um, and so um, I think that, that spirit is really obvious from the get-go. But I think the moment that like really solidified it for me was uh, April 6th. Uh, so April 6th, 2018 uh, really changed the way I looked at Saskatchewan. I mean, suddenly you couldn't drive in Saskatchewan on any road and not see a hockey stick outside someone's door, right? right. Uh, even though if you, if, you, if you try to look at it by life metrics, right? If you, if you, if you try to take the emotions out of it, and the, the, and, the, and the symbolics out of it. Um, uh, it's just, you know, not that many people actually died in that accident, right? If you compare it to like the number of people that die every day or things like that. But the province didn't look at it that way. They didn't look at it at, okay, 12 people, 13 people, you know, no, no. This is every household is affected. Every ho hockey rink is affected. Everybody that plays hockey is affected all the parents of every hockey rink is affected. And so quickly it became like, no, no, it wasn't Logan's tragedy, everyone's tragedy. So it's amazing. Like, I mean, that day, the way people stood together, the way Saskatchewan stood together, um, I really, I, I fell in love with this province. Yeah, I, that was, I mean, everyone will remember that date. 
um, for those of you that don't know what we're talking about, it was the, the Humboldt um, Broncos tragedy. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what your thoughts were when you got that call? So it's interesting how sometimes you are in a play, like, you know, I, I remember, I remember reading many, many years ago about the people who like, we're not supposed to work on September 11th. And then they like somehow picked up a shift and the people who like were supposed to work and like did not pick up a shift. And I'm like, Oh, that's cool. Okay. That sounds really cool and neat depending on what person you were. Um, and then, and then I remember I actually wasn't supposed to work that weekend at all in April. Um, and I was supposed to be off. And then some, but one of my colleagues was like, Hey, I, you know, do you mind helping with that weekend? And I was like, you know, I, I'm in town. I could help. Fine. So it was a night shift, and uh, I usually prepare for my night shift uh, with my beauty sleep. So I, uh, I went to sleep that morning on Friday and woke up around 5, 36 o'clock. And I usually always eat my dinner around 6 or 7 once I wake up while listening to the news. For some reason, I didn't watch the news or listen to the news that day. So I woke up, got ready, ate my dinner, and showed up to the hospital at 8 p.m., which is when I'm, my shift starts. And I'm walking in, big smile, like just another Friday night in April. Um, and I like quickly noticed like people are not smiling. People are seem a little off, but I just thought I'm overreading into things. And then I get to the ICU and uh, someone goes like, oh, you, you heard the news, right? And I was like, no, what's the news? And then they're like, oh, there is a, there's a bus crash. And initially it was like a bus crash. Maybe someone is injured, maybe not. Um, we're not really sure. It's probably nothing. And, you know, working in the ICU, dealing with bus crashes and accidents is, is a daily thing. It, 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 it's what we do. Right. So I thought it's just another accident. Hopefully nobody's injured. Hopefully it's very minimal. And if someone is injured, we're going to try to give them the best care possible. Where quickly the news started to come. One person, two, three, four, five. Um, the ages are really young. And very quickly the situation became quite serious and almost overwhelming even even though nobody has arrived yet like nobody actually showed up yet and i'm very like wow this is um this is more than what i ever wanted to sign up for um and and then and then we start to hear the news in more details more interviews this is all in a span of two hours or three hours so it felt like you know, like I'm describing it, it feels like like two days, right? Three days we're hearing. It's just two hours or an hour and a half by the time um, people started to roll into the hospital. Um, and before people rolled into the hospital, we called a code orange. And for people who are listening, code orange means uh, a mass casualty is, is happening. Uh, it's a very rare occasion for most hospitals. Um, and I believe the last code orange called prior to that one was 20 years before, if I'm not mistaken. So... It's not something that we train for it all the time, but it actually happens, you know, hopefully most doctors hope to do work their entire career without participating in one. Um, and quickly when we called Cord Orange, all the nurses, all the doctors were lining up. People were coming from every floor, just ready to whatever skill I have here, take it. I, I'll, I'll help. So it was even inspiring before anybody actually arrived to the hospital. People, immediately you know usually people like in hospitals they're no different than companies and teachers and everyone else we're like no it's not my job it's not my responsibility like no i'm not going to be assigned to this we're people that's what people do 
but 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 quickly that all disappeared. Like you know, everybody was willing to do anything. Like uh, people were willing just to keep the door open for you if that's what you need them to. People were willing to just here here I am. Work with me. Do whatever you want. Um, and then people started to arrive, and the level of the tragedy um, became quite evident. Um, and and um, and obviously, the first patient to um, to arrive uh, was Logan. Um, and um, what a hero that guy is! Um, and 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 obviously Logan is raised by two gems of a parents, right? Um, like that, the interaction of, in that room. Um, and I finally, you know, two days before the second anniversary that just passed, I talked to Logan's dad for like maybe an hour and a half or two. We were on the phone and we we're talking about that night. And, and I got his permission to speak about this a little bit more. Um, that interaction in bed six where Logan was, uh, probably books could be written about it, uh, about Logan, uh, but also about his parents and what kind of people they were. And, and really that's, that speaks about why I love, you know, the prairies or, you know, even, we'll even include Alberta in this a little bit here, right? You know, <laughs> there's a bit of Alberta. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, but but that spirit of 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 like life does not revolve around me, right? Um, and that spirit of uh, finding uh, you know something positive out of the most horrific thing possible. I mean, there's nothing more horrific than I don't have children, but I can't imagine there's something more horrific than losing um, an amazing child so senselessly. Um, and then somehow the one thing that you are thinking about is like all the other people. Um, and before, and I know you're going to maybe talk, we want to talk about Logan a little bit, but you know, I remember during that night, um, one of the most memorable things about that night is um, when they all arrived to the ICU and I am caring for some of the patients. Some of the parents were like, okay, like, we don't need that much of an update. Can you please just go and, uh, go and, like, that guy needs you more. Like, you can talk to us later. It's fine. He, he looks like he needs you more. So, you know, which is really, really special, right? Like, usually um, families and patients, they want to get a full update and, like, appropriately so, right? Like, I want to know about my brother or my dad or whatever. But people were like, okay, like, just, just go, you know? Like, just go take care of that guy. Um, and so... Um, I think that books and, and movies and, 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 and many things will be written when this is all said and done. I don't think it's all said and done yet um, mm -hmm. about that night. Um, so many special things happened that night. Well, it just speaks oh, to... Hi. I, I can't even... Oh, I, I do have kids, and when I heard about that, and I'm, I'm one to, to not look away, right? Like, I want to find out information, and I want to help, and I want to do whatever I can. But when I heard about that night, I, I had to look away for, for quite some time because I couldn't even imagine being in their shoes. And it just speaks to the kindness and the resilience of, of those people and you. Um, I can't even imagine what you deal with going through that and that your team deals with going through that. I, I see you and hospital work, honestly, is a teamwork. And um, 
I, I think that one of the things that I always want to focus on is that I get a lot of the attention and I, you know, sometimes the media or podcast or you have to have a face to something. So, yeah. um, um, you know, and my social media posts sometimes make me the face of these things, but I'm not even trying to be humble in all honesty. It's a teamwork. Um, and, um, and, uh, that night, you know, Emerge docs and, and anesthesiologists and the nurses and, you know, everything. I mean, just even think about it. Like, there's a lot of people that don't usually get credit. Like, for example, janitorial service, right? Mm -hmm. And environmental mm -hmm. services. Like, you can't bring a patient to any room unless it is spotless. Not spotless just, like, from dust and whatnot. Spotless from bugs and bacteria and blood. And da -da -da. So, I, I think I get a lot of the credits, um, but honestly, it's a teamwork. And, and I know, for example, you, when you were in the ICU um, with your brother, you would have seen how, you know, the, the respiratory therapist has to give their opinion and the nurse and the social worker and the physio physiotherapist and the charge nurse and, um, and other doctors and other experts. And, you know, so it really is a teamwork that, that gets that done. And that teamwork was beautiful. Uh, that night. And that's why, you know, I remember when I went home, um, the one thing that I wrote about that night um, in that post that was shared very widely, it was simply me just thanking people. I actually, that's all I said in that post. I said, thank you to the doctors. Thank you to the respite. And then it was like half a million people liked that thing because it truly was. People felt that it wasn't one person. It was the whole province saving the whole province. Mm-hmm. So speaking about the, you know, the team, um, the team atmosphere and the importance of team, when you read about Logan, going back to Logan, you, you read about what a team player he was. And even after he passed, you know, it's interesting that he continued with that, that team player mentality. Can you share with us a little bit about the Logan effect? Yeah. So, so again, I, I, um, I'm so glad I have the permission to share some of these details mm -hmm. because I think that, Sometimes there are very inspiring details that we are aware of that we cannot share, obviously, for, for privacy reasons. But when Logan arrived, um, it was very apparent that, um, that uh, he has suffered a significant life-ending injury, um, including uh, uh, his brain. And, um, and uh, we went to the room, and uh, there's a few of us went to the room to deliver the news to his parents, uh, and obviously they were tearful and devastated. Uh, but I'm talking within maybe a minute or two minutes, uh, quickly they turned around and said, while we're still in the room, and said, well, can he save other people? Uh, and I have to say, like, I was like, you know, I don't really cry a lot at work. Uh, in fact, I try to be really tough and, you know, I have mechanisms in my own head to distract myself if I feel like a family meeting is getting very emotional because at the end of the day, I'm a human being and I like to bring my emotions to work. And I was start like becoming really tearful because we just told you your most beautiful child in the world is this and you are now telling me can he save other people like what kind of a human being are you um and uh, and the parents very quickly said yeah he he Logan is definitely that kind of guy yeah he would want to save other people and 
obviously, despite the fact that the ICU was so busy, I honestly remember that moment as if like some, suddenly somehow everyone stopped talking. It was just like, it was just complete silence, even though it might have not been complete silence, but in my head, there was a few moments of just like extreme silence where I felt like no one's talking. Turns out, even the story's more crazy and inspiring than this, which these details we didn't know at the time. But after they agreed to organ donation, um, turns out that Logan, Logan had just turned, I believe, 21 March something. So this was happening in April. I think he turned 21 just a few days before that. And it turns out that his coach, um, somewhere I think in Lethbridge, I want to say, or somewhere in Alberta, his coach a few months ago had a massive brain aneurysm and uh, died. Um, and his coach donated six of his organs to save six lives. And Logan felt that in a, in a conversation with his dad a few days after his coach passed away, he told his dad, I want to be like him. And I forgot his name now. He said, I want to be like him. And his dad like, didn't want to talk about something sad and depressing like that. And he's like, okay, Logan, sure. Yeah, do it. Like, just to like, and it was a conversation only between the dad and Logan. And the dad didn't want to like, you know, thought like he just wanted to cheer him up. So he said, yeah, sure. Okay, sure. Yeah, you could do that. But Logan, you're 21. Like, what, what the heck are you talking about? Sure, you could donate your organs in 50 years, you know, 70, 60 years from now. Sure, go ahead. And, and then the conversation went away. It turns out that Logan uh, was sitting, it was at the time was live, still practicing with the Broncos and was living with his, I guess, billet family. Um, and so him, and I can't remember the, the name of the, the kid, he was a kid at the time that was living with Logan. On his birthday, he went to, on his 21st birthday, he went and reissued his driver license not telling his parents, not telling anyone, just this other 13-year-old kid. They went, he's like, the 13-year-old kid asked Logan, what do you want to do for your birthday? And he's like, oh, I know exactly what I want to do for my birthday. And I, mean, I don't know what kind of 21-year-old this child is. And he goes, oh, I know what I want to do for my birthday. I want to go get a new driver license so I could put on it an organ donor. Didn't tell anyone. So he goes, issues his new driver license and um, puts on it that he's an organ donor. Now go back to April 6th, the moment that we were in that room. So the mom and the dad, they go, yeah, yeah, he wants, yeah, I think, I th we think he would probably want to be an organ donor. Then a few hours later, the organ donation coordinator comes into the room and she goes, oh, good news. Logan already has this declared. And they're like, declared? Where? On his driver license. On his driver license? What are you talking about? So Logan didn't even tell his parents um, that he is an organ donor and, 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 you know, it's just, to me, like Logan is, is a hero. Um, um, and, and then you look at the, at what Logan did in all of Canada. I mean, the, after April 6th for about a year or so, I think organ donation, actual organ donation and actual people do, signing up for organ donation between the two of them spiked by 70%. You're talking about Logan saving more lives than I will do in years. 21 year old kid, hockey player, simple parents, will save lives more than an actual ICU doc will do 
in a long time. Um, and permanently, I mean, you're talking about permanently saving lives, right? Like, I mean, not just like semi-temporarily saving a life. No, no, a kidney, a liver, a pancreas, a heart, uh, a liver. You know, it's just, to me, I can't talk enough about Logan. Um, and I, I can't also stop giving enough credit to the kind of parents. Because Logan did not become like that out of space, right? Someone taught him that you look out for others. Someone taught him all these values. Um, and and I, know, I know exactly who these people are. They're his parents. Um, because even when they did not know about the driver license, they were like, yeah, no, we, we know what kind of kid we raised. He would want to save lives. Um, that room six, every day I go to the ICU and I pass by that room, I think of Logan. There isn't a day where I pass by room six and I don't think of the most VIP person to ever be in that bed, um, Logan. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> so yeah, Jesse, Jesse and, ugly. and Jesse is we're, ugly. we're both crying. <laughs> <laughs> when my older brother passed away um, years, years ago, um, his organs were donated as well. And when I, when I heard about Logan and when I heard about the story through you, about his parents, I mean, just the impact of, of being able to save lives like that and being able to give after they're gone. And I just, I mean, organ donation is obviously important to Kristen and I for some personal reasons. We, we just had Sienna on um, the podcast recently who donated a kidney to her boyfriend. Like we, at the, at the end of this, please, if organ donation is something that you want to do, please go the next time you're getting your license and, and it's different in different provinces and countries. But if that is something that you want to do, please like get it on a to-do list, get it in your calendar. Just and tell please, someone, tell, tell, tell a family member that, that you want to donate your organs because that is so important and it saves so many lives. Oh, thank you so much for sharing that because that's so powerful. And as a mom, I just want to raise my kids like Logan. Yeah. So that's very, very powerful. And I, I can't even go on from there. <laughs> yeah. So Dr. Masri, how do you yourself keep your, like we're big, um, you know, big advocates for positive mental health. And um, I mean, we're going to have bad days and getting through those bad days. How do you keep your mental health in check after nights like that, after meeting different families that um, when you have to deliver that bad news? Yeah, your job is very, very demanding. How, how do you do so that? I, I think that um, I think that I have a bit of a um, so so traditionally in medicine we are taught that um, you know you don't want to practice with your feelings or your emotions and and I, I, I fundamentally disagree with that notion and unfortunately um, I believe in, in and and I'm not here to criticize anyone but I believe that this idea that if physicians use their emotions, they make bad decisions. I think it, it, it's, I, I could see where that comes from, but I could also see how that could be very harmful and damaging in the relationship. Because at the end of the day, like I'm a human being. And for me to pretend that I'm not is actually, to me is actually very damaging to the inside of me. Like I, I will now be why can't I show my emotions about something that most people would consider a very happy moment or a very sad moment? Why, why should I not be showing those emotions? 
And if I don't show these emotions, does that really make me emotionless? I mean, so I, I, I believe in, personally, I believe that my emotions don't have to be hidden. And, um, and I embrace how I'm feeling. Uh, you know, um, I've had, obviously, I've had a, a, a patient once when I took the breathing tube out, I was speaking to this patient and I said, hey, like, what do you want? And he says, I want an effing beer. <laughs> I said, okay. I think you told me this story before. <laughs> okay, I'll get you that. So I called the parents and I said, we need an effing beer. <laughs> and, they, and they said, like, what are you talking about? I said, he wants a beer and we're going to get a beer. Um, and so, you know, he came and, and, and they came and they brought a beer and, and we took selfies and, and, and <laughs> drank beer. And, and so, you know, and, and I know, like, for example, with, with your family, I try to be part of that because I think that it's important to lean and use some of that emotions and, and, and get it out um, instead of just letting it boil inside and, 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 and have no emotions. But I also try to see positive things out of horrible things. Um, you know, like families, they get a lot closer. Um, I get many messages on Facebook and on Instagram from people who, um, you know, I've taken care of, or especially parents like, man, my kid is so nice to us now. And we're so <laughs> much closer and, and like, or so-and-so really doesn't care about little things anymore. Or so, um, I also do that in my own life, meaning like, you know, there's a tragedy and there's a really bad news that I have to deliver or something that's really awful. But I try to think of like something positive that came out of that, even in my own life, um, you know, or reflect on the stupid things that I, you know, getting mad because someone's not moving in front of me in a traffic light. Like, mm -hmm. it's like, really, How, really, you're going to be mad about that? Mm -hmm. Someone can't, you know, do this for the rest of their life and you're mad about this stupid thing. So you try to, you try to find um, a reflect, you know, a moment of something that's positive. And then you rely on your team. I mean, I remember on April 6th, uh, that night, uh, after we finished talking to Logan, now patients were coming one after another, one after another. And it was like about midnight. I honestly do not remember how it became eight in the morning. I didn't sip water i didn't go to the bathroom i i, I don't even remember i remember every detail but i also don't remember how time passed like i remember everything but i don't remember anything simultaneously and then i remember when i was leaving one of the nurses i was leaving finally the icu door and i closed it and then i started crying i was just like you know i i, I had a bit of tears in that in logan's room and then and then i put a straight face and because as an icu doctor you have to be the leader in that icu you can't be so you have to and, and I closed, and the moment I closed the door to the ICU, I just like lost it, um, which never, ever happened before. Like, I just like, you know, um, and there was a nurse at the corner and I thought like I was, I was going out. So I thought nobody could see this. Right. So I was like, this is a perfect time to cry. Um, and she was coming from the corner and she saw me. It's like, are you okay? And then like, you know, the, the moment someone asks you, are you okay? You cry even more even harder than <laughs> ever to ask. So I start crying and she like gave me a hug and it was like a three minute hug. Um, and, and, and so I think that I'm quite comfortable with, with my emotions. I think that we need to be, um, you know, like someone comes in and they have a tragic thing. Like 
if you're not sad, like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> how are you not sad for something like that? And the same thing, how are you not happy, right? Like someone comes in and, 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 and something really happy happens out of this. And like everything's fine and great, right? Let's, let's celebrate it. So I think it's important not to have all these feelings and emotions boil inside um, and then to rely on other people. And then to, to have healthy habits, you know, like um, I sometimes binge eat. I call that a healthy habit, <laughs> um, which is ironic, but I call it a healthy habit or go for a run, uh, go to the gym. Um, and then I, I like to uh, rely a lot on, uh, on jokes and humor um, and both on the, being there on the receiving end of it, but also on the production part of it, uh, because I think that it, it, hel it helps. And then finally, I think that finally in the last year or two, I have finally became comfortable with the idea that like I could have just a sad day. Like I don't have to be thrilled 24 seven, right? Like, cause I'm like, what's wrong with you? Cheer up. Like, no, I'm not cheering up today. It's Tuesday. I'm sad. Uh, I've had three people that I lost today in the ICU. Why, why would I want to cheer up today? I'm not cheering up today. No, I'm not going to be sad forever. But I think the idea that like, it, it's actually okay to, to be really mad or really sad about a poor outcome that happens, even if it's not like my fault, right? Mm -hmm. It's still okay to be pissed off. Mm -hmm. There's whatever. such a crazy thing in society. And we talk about this lots. It's like, to be strong, you can't show emotion. You've got to, you know, you, you just can't be, you can't be weak ever. But I mean, yeah. we're, we're big on just sharing that it's the times when you, when you're vulnerable and when you are emotional that you can draw that strength from to move forward. And hearing that from somebody like yourself in the position that you're in from a man too, to say like, sometimes I'm just going to cry and, and I'm okay with it. That is yeah. so powerful for people. So powerful. More powerful yeah. for men to hear. Yeah. And, 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 and again, like, I, I think that it, again, I think a lot of the medical education paradigm relies on, you, you know, like, because it comes from the fact that you can't take care of your, you know, like, for example, in medicine, we say you can't take care of your own family. You can't take care of people that you, are, you have emotions towards because the, 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 the premise is that if you use emotions, you make bad judgment. Okay, I, I, I get that. And I respect that. I think there's a lot of truth to it. But I also think that the extreme where like, no emotions is also damaging. I mean, like, um, I, like I said, I go to the room and I try, I'm, I'm, I'm also a, a professor at the med school and I have residents and things like that. And I go sometimes to the room with them and I'm like, what do you, how did you not ask about their sleep or like their bowel movements? Can you imagine talking to someone who's constipated? They don't want to talk to you. It, it, it sounds simple and silly, but like, you know, like I know when I'm nauseous and people are trying to talk to me, all I want them to do is stop talking. Right? <laughs> I don't want to talk to anybody. So it's like, those like i don't know why when someone comes to the hospital we sometimes lose common sense of like would you want to with someone who was nauseous or had a horrible sleep or is hungry if you were that person would you want to talk to anybody and go on on a 20 minute interview about shoulder pain no absolutely not i, I don't want to talk to anybody until i'm full like if i'm hungry i'm not talking to nobody mm -hmm. um and so I like to, to focus on these, like, sounds like really simple stuff, right? Like when you talk about it, people are like, yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, it makes sense. Everyone, everyone, no one, no one seems to have any disagreement with that. 
But then when it comes to real practice, for many reasons, that common stuff gets lost in translation and people barge into someone's residence. I mean, I, I always think about it like it's someone's residence, right? It's my private room. I'm sitting there. You knock the door. I don't even have the option to say, don't come in, right? Like in my house or my hotel room, you put a sign, do not disturb, yeah. right? <laughs> right? Uh, I can't put that on room six and be like, do not disturb. I'm good today. Thanks for the antibiotics, right? Like it's... it's uh, <laughs> Uh, under, under the door. Right. So there's no option and someone barges into the room and then they're like, how's your shoulder? Okay, do like this. And they start making you do things that actually hurt. And it's like, wow, what's happening here? I, I'm hungry. I am nauseous. I'm constipated. And you're hurting me. So I think focusing on the, these basic things um, really important. Um, and then you start to feel better. Like when talking about mental health, I think when you start, you start feeling better, like, man, this patient really is appreciative of me. I'm doing the right thing. I feel good. Even though the situation is terrible, I feel good. Mm -hmm. For sure. So in totally switching gears, we've got to talk about the coronavirus. So can you tell us about, so I I mentioned to a nurse friend of mine, Kelsey, um, that we were going to connect with you. And she said, um, what I would really like to know is that what he felt and thought when we first heard about the virus and how that's changed. Because our first conversations about the virus. And I mean, I went on a trip when it had, um, you know, you kind of started hearing the rumblings and there were people with masks in the airport and that kind of a thing. And I'm immune compromised. So there was the debate of, well, do we go, do we not go? And, and that sort of a thing. So she's, she's had a total shift in what she um, thinks and feels. So do you remember where you were when you heard about the, the virus and were you concerned at all? Did you think it was going to come to Canada? Um, did you, did you ever anticipate we would be in a global pandemic? So, I think that when this is all said and done, um, there's going to be like three, four words that we use to describe all of what's happening here. And I think one of those three or four words is going to be humbling. Um, it's going to be so humbling in every possible way, right? I mean, you're talking to a society that went to the moon. And in fact, the moon now seems to be like a very short destination. We've gone way further than the moon. But now you can't go to the ATM machine with someone around you. Right. right. But you, you could totally go to um, places that are further than the moon. So it's really humbling. So I think to answer your question, I think when we in the medical world heard about COVID-19, um, to, to say that we all knew that it was going to be really bad and we knew everything about it, I think is not true. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we all thought, um, some of us who are, like, for example, because I'm, I'm in the ICU world and we dealt with SARS um, and we were very worried about Ebola, for example, we kind of knew a little bit more than the average person or even the average medical person. Uh, but certainly no one anticipated it to be um, this bad. Um, and I thought, you know, this might, this, slowly I start to think this might be the new SARS. Like it's going to be bad, but it wasn't like horrible. It was bad, terrifying, but it wasn't by medical standards a, a horrendous thing. So I think that a lot of us didn't know much about it. And I'm in, I'm in, your, in your boat. I, I, I took actually a trip just a week before things became serious. Um, or became that it was going to become serious. And, uh, and I saw people in the airport with masks and things like that. I was like, eh, some people are dramatic, you know, like, <laughs> right. some people just love that drama. Like, 
What's going that's, on? That's literally what I said. Yeah. And I don't hand sanitize. I don't wipe any. I'm a farm yeah. kid. Like, I'll eat yeah. a hot dog after I'm in the barn. But yeah. Oh. yeah. So I thought, you know, these people are dramatic. Come on. Like, yeah. And then, and then, and then I came back and I worked for about a week here and I start reading about it a little bit more. And um, unfortunately, when things were in China, mostly, uh, you know, the importance of free press. Um, I want to do a plug in for free press. Free press is, is the most important thing in a free society. And, and China does not have a free press. I hope this does not come to a surprise to anybody. But Italy does, and Spain does. So when things became bad in Italy and Spain, and free press started to do its thing, we became a lot more aware of, um, of what's happening. And that's when I was like, whoa, okay, well, this seems way more worse than SARS certainly not like the regular flu. Um, and in fact, that Friday morning, uh, Friday the 6th, I believe, or something like that, I had a flight booked to go scuba diving for the week in Honduras. And me and my friend, who's also a physician in Alberta, were like, should we cancel? Should we not? It still hasn't blown up. It was, it was still beginning of March. And, and, and our flight was supposed to leave at 8 in the morning out of Saskatoon. Uh, and we said, you know what? it's probably Canada's not going to be that bad. Like we should just go. Um, I think again, like we just, we just have to be a bit more careful now. Maybe we would probably might actually wear a mask in the plane. We'll wash our hands a few more times. You know, we'll, we'll be more careful. That's fine. And then we checked in actually, we, we checked in into our flight. Um, and then at six in the morning. So the flight's at eight at six in the morning. Uh, I called him and he's, and I said, look, I'm not feeling good about this. I think this is a terrible idea. And he said, you know what? I trust your gut feeling. If you think this is a terrible idea, I think it's a terrible idea. I said, okay, well, we're not going. Um, and so we canceled our flight two hours, um, or three hours before, um, we took off and, uh, and, um, and, and we, we completely, you know, called the airline that night or that evening. I can't remember now the timing, um, and canceled the whole thing. And, and looking back, obviously, this was a genius decision. Yeah. Uh, but, but the point of this whole thing is that I think none of us really knew the serious impact. Even when we canceled our flights, we weren't expecting this. We thought, you know, we honestly canceled it because we thought we're healthcare workers. We might be needed a little bit. It's kind of a bad move to, like, go there and get stuck. You hear of all these horror stories of people getting stuck. And it's like, we'll just cancel it. But even then, we didn't think it would be this bad. And so I think that nobody, uh, in fact, leaked documents from the Canadian government suggest that even the Canadian government didn't think it was that serious. Um, and that's not to criticize them, but that's the importance of free press because when people and governments and organizations don't get detailed, truthful information, um, they don't make good decisions. And I think that um, we were all humbled by the seriousness of the um, situations. Obviously we knew a little bit more than the average person, but not nearly enough. And certainly I did not know personally that it was going to be this bad. Right. So you recently said the virus doesn't go everywhere. You go everywhere. And we know that staying home is the best way not to get it. But the reality is thousands in our country obviously have it right now. And there are many feeling like, Oh, it's just a cold. I'm young. I'm healthy. What would you say to people who you, um, who you don't think or who are thinking like this isn't a big deal or, you know, maybe aren't taking things so seriously? Like how serious is this virus and how much are people struggling with it? You're seeing it. Yeah. So tell, 
about that? Well, so, so uh, I, I think that um, one of the, one of the I, like I said, I, I like to think about some of the positive things that comes out of tragedies. And I think one of the things that is really coming strong out of this COVID era is that people are going back to science. Um, and, you know, up to a few months ago, people were starting to become quite a bit like reliant on forwards and what people say and what your thought is. And, and I noticed that the society in general was walking away from science and medicine and real facts. Uh, but I think that society, even in the recent few weeks in Saskatchewan or in Canada or really around the world is starting to say like, well, what is the evidence showing? Which is interesting, right? People are saying like, what, what, what does science say? Uh, so I think that people who say it's like the flu, like I said in my last video, I said numbers and hips don't lie. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, and numbers are numbers, right? Like they just don't lie. I mean, um, the flu is nowhere close to this and mortality. And, and you could just look it up. It's as simple as that. You look up the number of people who had the flu and the number of the people who had died from the flu uh, this year, last year, whatever year you like to choose. Um, it's just the way it is. It's not. So it's not like the flu. That, that's not up to, uh, you know, you're entitled to your opinion in general in life, but you're not entitled to make up things, right? Okay. So you can't say, well, my opinion is, and then make up a bunch of facts. You can say your opinion, but facts are facts. And so numbers suggest and say and prove that it's not like the flu. Mm -hmm. So to me, that's a very simple point that anyone who wants to say it's like the flu need to just look up the numbers and then they have their answers. And it's the shor shortest argument ever. Um, as for the people who say I am young and healthy, um, I would like to say to them that you might be young and healthy, um, and, 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 but the people around you are not young and healthy. Um, and, um, or they could be young, but not healthy, or they could be young and healthy, but immunocompromised. And there's older people. And, and to me, it's a very toxic argument. Like it's, it, and I like this in my videos, I like to say, you know, people who say they're young and healthy, I would like to translate that to what exactly they're saying. They're saying, I can't die but all people and people who have medical condition are okay to die. That's, that's what you're saying. So when you say it that way, we're like, oh, no, that's, that, that's, that sounds awful. Why are you saying it like that? Like, I'm not, mm -hmm. I don't mean it like that. Well, that's what you're saying because um, what you're saying matters. And so people who say that like, need to understand that their parents are not young and healthy. Their grandparents are not young and healthy. The people who make them pierogies on Christmas and other occasions are not young and healthy. Mm -hmm. um, the people who care for them are not young and healthy. The people who like raised them are not young and healthy. The people who created this entire province and the economy that they so badly want to go back to are not young and healthy. And so, and then finally, I tell them that, you know, when Logan, um, uh, and I always bring Logan into this, when Logan was, you know, brain dead, he could have said, like, I'm fine. You know, I, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm done here. So why would I want to help any of you? Um, but it wasn't about him. It was about everyone else. So I think if we all became little Logans, because I don't think we, any of us will ever be like Logan. I think he's way higher than we'll ever be. But if we try to be a mini Logan um, and think like, we're not even asking you for your kidneys or your liver. We're just asking you to stay home. Okay, like, like you're doing nothing compared to what Logan has done. 
right? And I understand there's an economical crisis, you know, associated to this. I get it. I'm not minimizing that. And it's horrible because uh, lives will be destroyed economically with this. But um, I think that the phrase young and unhealthy is really damaging. The other thing that I would say to people who say young and healthy is that when China was releasing a lot of its data, we in the medical world thought that this was the disease of the old and sick. But if you look at the Italy numbers, for example, or even the New York numbers, about 20% of their death is the young and healthy. So my argument to these people, okay, if you insist on being selfish, like you're like, no, I, I hear you. I still don't care about all these things that you're saying. I still don't care about the old people. I still don't care. I don't care. I only care about myself. Well, my argument to you, well, if you care only about yourself, there's a 20% chance mm -hmm. of mortality here, even for you. So even if you boil it down and you shouldn't be selfish, but if you say like, we're going to normalize selfishness, then even then this is bad news. This is not a good idea. So mm -hmm. it's certainly in, in any way, shape or form, no matter how you cut or slice this, um, it's serious than the flu. It's not like the flu and it does not affect only the, the old and the sick. Um, and it is a very, very serious thing. Um, I mean, you, you think about this, it's only about a month ago um, that we had one case and today we have 30,000 cases. Um, it's about uh, a month ago that the United States had um, one case and now they're sitting, I think today, I think they're sitting at 30,000 death. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and so the number of people who died from this are like six, seven, eight times September 11th mm -hmm. already. And when it's all said and done, it'd be way more than that. So um, I think that argument is, is, is quite weak um, and, and unscientific and, and, um, and people really need to, and I think people in Saskatchewan have done a remarkable job, but I think people overall really need to get this so we could get to the next step. Mm -hmm. And speaking about Saskatchewan, um, and you read different things and sometimes you, you don't know where and what um, to believe, but there's a lot of people um, saying that Saskatchewan is really leading the charge when it comes to flattening the curve. Um, what do you attribute that to? So, uh, like, it's actually not, not just what people say, it's a fact. There we go. Saskatchewan it is, yeah. leading the way um, yeah. when it comes to this. We're the second highest uh, province in terms of testing, meaning our low numbers did not come because, and, and of course we have not tested enough at all. And of course the government knows that we all know that and it takes a time to ramp up stuff, right? Like this is something new and people are like, well, we're not testing enough. Well, yeah, we agree. We're not, well, nobody's claiming we're testing enough, but if you look at the provinces, we're the number two province in terms of testing. So our low numbers are not due to very low testing numbers. We're actually testing quite a bit. Mm -hmm. We tested, I think, 22,000 people or 23,000 people so far. The numbers keep changing very quickly. And yet we have 307. Um, and we're a 1.2 million population. Um, we are in obvious terms, and, and it makes me smile uh, to know that we are leading the way. Um, and and in, in a remarkable way. I mean, you look at... Um, you look at even our, our Alberta border, for example, um, and I, I haven't checked today what their number is, and I'll sneakily look at it while uh, the two of <laughs> us are talking here. Uh, but, you know, um, they are already at 2,400 
uh, today. Um, we are at three, uh, 300, and I think our population compared to their population is, um, I think we have, Alberta, if, I, if I'm correct, I think they have three and a half million, four million people. Um, and so um, we, they have way more than we do, even though they're only four times the population um, or three or whatever number it is. But the point is not the three or the four. The point, the point is that it's the number is so big. So for a province of our size, uh, we're doing really, really good. What do I contribute that to? I contribute that to the people that we talked about earlier. That, right. that those are the people. Um, look, uh, it's not that it's not the med, the doctors or the nurses or the RTs or the Saskatchewan Health Authority or the government. Although I appreciate every single one of these organizations. The reason why we have 307 is because of the people of Saskatchewan. That's just a simple of a statement and it could, as it could be, it's the people. Um, you know, um, there's some people here and there that are not uh, compliant, but go ahead and drive in downtown Saskatoon or neighborhoods in Saskatoon or Regina or any other place. And just look, there's nobody. People are sticking to the rules people are saying, okay, well, if that's what you think is good for us, we will do it. It's that spirit that I talked about earlier, the common sense uh, that you do not mess with nature. When, when a virus and nature is messing with you, you just don't, right? You don't plant your seeds in the winter. You respect it. And when you respect it, you prosper. Um, and I find that that common sense, that friendliness towards nature and respecting nature is what is coming back to really um, help us in Saskatchewan. I mean, it's so nice looking at that map and you know, every day you get the updates and unfortunately Ontario is getting hit hard. Ontario every day is posting highest records in number of new cases and number of deaths. Quebec, the same thing yesterday, almost a thousand cases in Quebec in a day, which is the highest percent rise and the highest percent rise in death. Alberta for the last three days, the highest number in rise and the highest number of cases. And then you look at Saskatchewan, right? And, you know, you're listening at that 2.30 mark waiting for the announcement. And Dr. Saqib Shihab, who's done a phenomenal job handling this, comes on and says, we have, and you're like, oh God, oh God. And he goes, one case, right? And it's like, wow. You know, and it's like, it's just like, I wish there was a Zoom where 1.2 million Saskatchewans are on Zoom and you just high five all of them. <laughs> Like, you know, yes. like, you did it. Like, I just want to like point at each one of them and say, like, the reason why we have one or two is it's you, like you, right? And uh, and I, you know, saw like all these Instagram stories of people like over Easter last weekend, and you know, you have these seventy-year-olds like grandpa, grandma, who literally for the last fifty years, sixty years, have had family dinners like every Easter for sixty years, right? Like that's what Saskatchewan is—all families and stuff, right? In sixty years, this guy has never missed, or this grandma has never missed a single Easter dinner. Sixty years, and then the government says, "Stay away," and they're like, "Okay, done," and they, they and they skip dinner with their twenty grandson, grandkids, and kids, <laughs> right? Like it's remarkable. Like the people that, that so I'm not I'm not surprised. Like someone asked me yesterday in the hospital, like, "Are you surprised?" We've like, "No, I'm not surprised." Do you not know where we live? Um, we live in a place where people understand like um, what's going on and, 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 and follow the rules and follow like common sense. And so I'm not, no, I'm not surprised. I'm not saying things are not going to get worse because I do believe that we have some bad days ahead of us still, 
but in relative terms, our bad days are not going to be anywhere near as the bad days of other places where uh, people are talking about, oh, this is a hoax or this is overrated. I mean, even some voices out of Alberta, for example, talking about, oh, no, this is to, to control us. And, you know, that's very damaging because when you start talking like that, people will start to believe you, especially if you have some power or some credentials or something like that. People are like, well, if Masri said that it's fine, then it must be fine. He seems like a relatively smart guy. And so, and so people will, will, will start doing um, things that are and, and, and raise the numbers. So I think that we've done a remarkable job. I am not surprised one bit. Uh, not yeah, that, that actually leads me to my next question. You talked about um, people with conspiracy theories and people that are not necessarily trusting the government or pseudoscience. Can you speak a little bit more about that? So I don't work for the government. Um, I generally have very skeptical views of the government, mostly because they can't pave the road properly. Uh, <laughs> um, a Saskatchewan joke for our listeners from <laughs> Alberta too. Yeah. So, so, so I think that the government is not an angel. And I don't think the government is always good or right or perfect. Um, and I think that a free society needs to always hold the government accountable and vote them out. Um, if they, uh, in fact, in the last eight elections, provincial, provincially and federally, I have not voted for the same party twice in a row. Uh, because I do believe that the point of election is to uh, say good job or Thank you, but I don't appreciate your job. I, I'm going to now sit you over there on the bench, figure it out, come back, tell me how you do. And so I, I don't hold the view uh, ever that the government is a saint or that we should trust the government blindly or anything like that. In fact, I think you need to hold it accountable. However, I do also think that it's really important when people do a good job or government or organization that you recognize that, even if you don't like them. So even if I don't like my enemy or my government or uh, uh, anybody, when they do a good job and they excel at it, it is the fair thing to do and the right thing to do is to, is to say, you know what, good job. Um, I also think that there's a time and place for, anything, for everything, right? So... Um, there, this is not the right time or the right place to talk about ideologies of governments and, you know, low taxes, high taxes. There are people going to die in this if we don't get our act together. And so this is not the right time to, you know, it's like if you're at a funeral, you don't talk about how do you like your coffee, right? You talk, you, you, you talk about appropriate topics in appropriate times. Um, and so... I think that conspiracy theory is really dangerous because it feeds on the distrust that people have already, like me and you. We all have distrust in governments. That's just, that's just the way it is, right? They can't pave the road. So we're always thinking, if you can't pave the road, how do I trust you with this? I can't trust you. So we all have a general distrust in, in governments, which is appropriate most of the time. And so the conspiracy, conspiracy theorists, they come and they use that distrust that you and I have and say, you know how we don't trust them with the paving of the road? Now think about that and think about, do you really trust them with COVID? Mm, no, you shouldn't. And so it's really dangerous because it works on a natural distrust, right? Um, and so it could be really effective. And the other thing is people are like, they can't wait to hear some good news, right? Like if I go to Jesse and say, you know, 
listen to this and the result of what I'm about to tell you will get you out and you'll go back to normal life and you could go back to hugging everyone and doing everything. So there's a tendency that like we're all desperate for good news. And so any conspiracy theory that works on distrusting the government, which is natural, and wanting good news, which is natural, is going to be very effective. And obviously here in Saskatchewan, we've had our own flavors of, uh, of pseudoscience um, and, and people saying, oh, COVID has been here already. And, uh, and half a million of you, in fact, in, at what, at what, in one part, they say half of the people have it. And then at one point, they say most of the people have it. And in some point, they say 20% of the people have it. The same individual repeating those terms. Well, what kind of science is this that ranges between half, 40%, and 20%? You're talking about 300,000 people, 200,000 people, and half a million people. Don't, I don't want to sign up for a science that can't make up its mind when it comes to half a million people. Um, and, and, and especially is dangerous when pseudoscience comes from people with titles. So why do people follow Masri on Facebook? Why do people follow me on Facebook? It's not because my hair is fabulous, although it is. Um, <laughs> it's looking uh, pretty good right now. Uh, <laughs> yeah. it's not that, if people follow me because I say that I'm a physician, that I'm ICU, that I have a title. So people, so when pseudoscience comes from people who have credentials, it is very damaging. Um, I, I always said, and, and I think Benjamin Franklin said it in even a more uh, elegant way. He says the ignorance of uh, the educated blockheads is more dangerous than the ignorance of those who are not, uh, right? Like, you know, if my grandma said COVID is nothing, no one's going to believe her, right? Like, okay, grandma, thanks for that helpful tip on life. But if I say um, COVID is nothing, m many people will say, well, you know, I kind of trust Masri. He seems like a good doc. Uh, sure. So pseudoscience is really dangerous because it plays on those two fears, distrust of the government and wanting good news. But it also becomes really dangerous when it comes from someone who holds an official title of any kind, even if it's not related to COVID, right? Um, people say, okay, well, I, I trust that guy or that girl. Um, and so we really got to fight pseudoscience. And I hope that we don't only fight it when it comes to COVID, but I hope that what we get out of COVID when this is all said and done is a society that trusts officials, questions them, but trusts them, and a society that uh, encourages science and medicine to prosper uh, so we could solve more trouble and more problems. Uh, I mean, look at uh, small box, right? Um, who has that? Nobody, except people who, who don't want vaccines, right? Um, and, and so um, we're getting a demo. I, I saw one of those funny memes of like, you know what the world would look without a vaccine? You're looking at it. This is what it looks like. It. Um, and so um, I don't believe in blind belief in science. We really got to question science because science has to be questioned too. Everything has to be questioned. Mm -hmm. But questioning things is different than having no trust. And you like, I don't care what you say. I don't care what you do. I already don't trust anything you say. Um, um, and, and so, uh, that's why I put my last video because I, I believe pseudoscience is actually more dangerous than ignorance. Mm -hmm. So there's no question the coronavirus is real. There's no question that we need to, like you said, pay attention to the messages coming from the people who are basing everything off of, of science. What are you, you know, and we're, we're hearing different symptoms or not, sim I guess, symptoms and what it looks like. 
So Kristen and I obviously know people that have it and, and sometimes it's a fever and sometimes it's a tummy ache and sometimes it's, um, they just can't taste. There's a lot of different, um, it's manifesting in people a lot, uh, very differently. What are you seeing on the front lines in terms of what this virus actually is looking like for patients and people who have it? Because this virus is brand new um, and it's only been isolated really in October, November of 2019, hence the name uh, COVID-19, which is Coronavirus 2019. Um, the, 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 we are learning about it as we speak. So as we, as we go, we're learning about it. And as more free societies like Germany and Spain and U.S. and Canada, and all these countries with free press uh, ha are, are coming on and on and on with more cases, we're learning more about what's a common symptom, what's a less common symptom, what do people really have? And then studies are happening very quickly to see, okay, well, what, what do people actually have? I think that for now, the common symptoms that people are seeing are actually interesting because you have about 15% of the people who have actually no symptoms at all, right? So there you go, 15% don't even have any symptoms. And about 15% other percent, 15 other percent, they're seeing like a very short, like few hours or less than a day symptoms of maybe like fever or weakness, maybe a little dry cough, something like that. So now you have 30% of the population who, this is the dangerous part, right? You have a 50, 30%, half and half, 15 don't even have anything. And the other 15 have something that the three of us probably have on a daily basis usually, right? Like you sometimes you have this weird cough and feeling a little weak and no energy and and then you're like, ah, it's gone. I don't know what that was, but sure, right? So I have 30% of people who have nothing almost. And then 30% have the normal sniffles, right? Like we all have that during, especially this time. <clears throat> and then you have the remaining percent, they have shortness of breath um, that ranges between um, something that needs to be treated just in, in a regular hospital bed and or really severe that requires ICU stay. Those are the general symptoms. So the weakness, the fever, the shortness of breath, the cough, it's dry usually. The, short, the, the loss of smell or loss of sensation or, 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 or those are all really rare symptoms. Um, and most of us as physicians, if we were to hear about these symptoms, um, we would be thinking about other medical conditions that could be causing them because we don't want to miss the more common conditions that could cause this, right? Um, but for the most part, the symptoms are what I named. Um, and because of that, that's why our advice is to stay home because for the most part, these symptoms could be dealt with uh, at home um, without infecting other people. So <clears throat> I appreciate that people want to know what those symptoms are, and I want to focus on those general symptoms so I don't confuse a lot of people with more odd or exotic symptoms. Um, and I always say, look, if you have any questions or you don't have any questions, just stay home, right? Mm -hmm. Stay home and pretend that you have. We all acted like we have it and stayed home. Um, we literally would bring this virus to its knees. Mm -hmm. And how often are you seeing it? You know, you see the different videos from Spain and Italy coming about everybody um, with respirators and things like that. How often are you seeing people need something that extreme in terms of, of help I, I, from? I think that Saskatchewan did um, a fabulous job in protecting, like if you look at most of the death, you know, not most of the death, half of the death in Ontario and Quebec is from nursing home and long-term care facilities. 
And so far, our, uh, because those are the most vulnerable people, and because we have not, luckily so far, had those outbreaks, we have not seen a very serious cases in the ICU or in the hospital because we've protected the people who are most vulnerable. So people who are showing up in the hospital, um, some of them we're sending home because their symptoms are so, so bit like uh, um, not severe that they could be just managed at home without putting them and other people at risk. Uh, and so luckily we have not seen those serious symptoms in the ICU um, yet. We've seen some, but we haven't seen them in the abundance that's available in Spain and Italy uh, because we really um, have done a good job in protecting our most vulnerable. But the other thing is, even if those cases were to happen in Saskatchewan, because they're happening so slowly in a trickle fashion, we have the ability to actually deal with them. I mean, at the end of the day, the bottom line is this is a viral pneumonia. It's not a new thing. We knew about viral pneumonias of other viruses before, and we know how to manage it, and we know how to get you through it, and we know how to send you home after it. But what happens in, in I guess maybe I'll go on a tangent here. The question is, how do people actually die from COVID-19? Well, you die from one of three reasons. You die because of the virus itself, or you die because the hospital can't take care of you, because it's overwhelmed, or you die because you have a different condition that's no longer being taken care of because the system is overwhelmed with COVID. And so because our system is not overwhelmed in Saskatchewan, we expect that even if we have people coming to the ICU or to the regular hospital, as long as we keep our numbers low, that we will be able to take care of grandma and grandpa appropriately, get them, get them through this. Of course, there might be some losses, but it won't be as big because we are um, really, really, uh, we're not really short on anything in Saskatchewan. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and we have the resources and the government is working hard on supplying us with more. So as long as we don't have a major spike where we overwhelm the system, um, I think we will have less tragic days and less tragic loss here. And are there any, any other myths you'd like to dispel, get rid of, squash, there's a lot of them. Um, the, 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 you know, when I started making these videos, uh, myths and, 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 and pseudoscience is, was my biggest motivator uh, because I, I, I always disliked pseudoscience and myths. You know, I, I always liked facts. It, it's, it's my, I'm obsessed with facts and science. Uh, that's the bottom line. And, you know... <laughs> I don't know if you see Kristen. Uh, obviously, our <laughs> listeners don't. But Kristen, everything you just said just spoke directly to her heart. I, yep. You're, you're so, speaking so, to me. Yeah. So, so, you know, for the first time ever, I will release... I always... People... I've had a few interviews and people say... You know, I, saw, I say one of my family members, uh, you know, sent me something at the beginning of this that really inspired me to start this because it was like complete pseudoscience. So for the first time ever, I'll, I'll tell... I'll tell on her and say exactly who that person was. It was my own mom. So my own mom sends me this, this WhatsApp. I don't know if a lot of your listeners use WhatsApp, but WhatsApp is essentially a, a, a mean to communicate and you people send messages and whatnot. And she sends me this video. It says, here's how you know if you have COVID-19. Okay. All right. That's interesting. <laughs> how you know how to have, because it sounds like my mom has figured it out. <laughs> you, you, uh, you know it is you hold your breath for 10 seconds and if you hold your breath for 10 seconds and you're fine then you're fine okay <laughs> so the problem is usually pseudoscience you know you, you even before covid we heard about pseudoscience all the time 
but it didn't kill people, right? So people say, people made up all this stuff that if you drink uh, or eat uh, garlic times 100, you became whatever. And it's like, fine. You ate, your, you ate uh, uh, garlic, and the only person that you really hurt was the people around you with your smell. Uh, but it wasn't very damaging. But this, think about this. Think about me. I hear this, and I'm like, okay, let, let's go. I hold my breath for 10 seconds. I'm fine. So now I'm like, actually, I don't have COVID. So I could hug anyone I want. I could go to any grocery store I want. I could do whatever I want because I actually can't hurt anyone because I don't have COVID. And so you could imagine a society that believes in that uh, or a community or a neighborhood that actually believes in that pseudoscience is going to go and do the home test, do it yourself test, um, and then go and spread it to everyone else because they don't. And then you're going to have so much death. So pseudoscience in COVID times um, is extremely damaging. So that's the first myth. I don't care how long you hold your breath. That is never approved to whether you have lung disease or not in general, and certainly not COVID. Um, the other myth is this garlic business. Um, and I hope I'll take this moment to ask my dad to stop spreading that. <laughs> my grandpa that too. My grandpa too. Yeah, I'm, I'm convinced that my dad and I, you know, we always have these Zoom meetings with our families these days. And I, my dad still thinks garlic very highly of garlic. And I'm convinced that the reason why garlic protects people is because if you eat that much garlic as advertised, the six feet distance is not going to be an issue. Nobody's going to even have 60 yards of you. So that might be the protection there. But I think these things are really important. You know, there's no evidence that garlic solves anything. There's no evidence that holding your breath solves anything. The other myth, look, in medicine, we have zero medications so far that treats uh, COVID. As, as humbling, as we, I, look, as physicians, we never want to say we don't know any medication that works, but we have zero medication that works, not high altitude sickness medications, not the medications that makes you pee, uh, not the malaria medications, not azithromycin. None of these things have been proven to work and medications are not a joke or, or a thing that I want to experiment on my patients with. These medications have risks. Uh, they're chemicals, right? So I'm not going to give anyone a medication that I have no evidence that it works. And we have no medications, no matter what you hear on White House briefings or, mm -hmm. uh, or, or, or from uh, uh, anyone. There is no medication that works um, and there is no vaccine that works yet. Um, and so those are really important things to keep in mind. Um, and, and, uh, and on that note, um, it's not enough to be pro-science and then spread pseudoscience. So like I have a few friends on my Facebook that shared one of the videos that I'm referring to about pseudoscience and then they, and, and then they shared it and then they said, well, that's interesting. Excuse me? You share it and you say that's interesting? No, you know what I mean? You don't want to share because you may have the enough intelligence or enough life experiences or whatever to not believe it but you're responsible for the audience that you have. So spreading misinformation and calling it, well, that's an interesting take is not an interesting take at all is actually very damaging. The other thing is, uh, you know, you can't say that's an interest, based on what did you think that was an interesting take, right? Can you imagine if I say to you, and I, you know, the pilot has a certain way to land the plane, 
and I say, I don't, I have a, I, you know, I don't have any knowledge in this, but I have a different take how we should land our airplanes from now on, right? Um, I think that we, you know what sounds really cool? We do this before we land. That's really interesting. It's like, you can't, you can't give your opinion about something you know nothing about, whether it's interesting or not. It's not interesting. It's actually very damaging. And for a video to be shared 40,000 times or viewed 40,000 times in Saskatchewan, you know, if 10 people, just 10 people out of the 40,000 people believed it and went and act upon it, we would have trouble. So please stop sharing nonsense, uh, especially that's racially motivated, you know, against Asians or Chinese. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that, that's just not, not something that we want to stand for here in Canada. Uh, please stop sharing things that are not uh, verified by reputable sources. Um, we have a free press here in Canada, CTV, CBC, all of them, CFR. There's so many channels. And trust me, if there was something fishy, they would, stri- they would, they would thr- they thrive on that kind of stuff. They would bring it up to our attention very quickly. I'm not saying, you know, believe everything you hear, but stop sharing. I think you have a responsibility to stop sharing myths and misinformation um, and share, I, I can, it bothers me a lot when people share something completely inaccurate and say an interesting take. No, mm-hmm. I, go ahead and write a dangerous take. Right. There's another myth that was going around that people had COVID-19 in December and January. Oh boy. Now they're immune. Yes. Can yeah. you talk about that, please? Yeah. And in fact, I, I, I plan to release a video today or tomorrow talking about this topic, but, but, but let me explain it to people who heard that logic. If the theory is that we have had it in December or January and Italy got sick in February, March, and Spain got sick in February, March, and even China got sick in January, February, what you're saying, and just think about how ridiculous this is, what you're saying is that the virus, if you, if you look at the timeline, what you're saying is that the virus actually started in Saskatchewan. So what you're saying is that Moose Jaw and Prince Albert and Lloyd Minister is actually where the virus started and that Moose Jaw and Lloyd Minister gave it to Wuhan, China and to Italy and Spain. Now, if you could hear that and with a straight face and not laugh, then sure. But if you laugh, then that's how I feel about that argument. It's completely laughable to make that argument. The other thing is, again, this, this mistrust or this myth works on, a, on, a, on, a, on this. You know, I don't know if you go to a Chinese restaurant and you open these fortune cookies. You open it and it says, Jesse, you are going to have a day that has a lot of sun and smiles. And you're like, wow, that was yesterday. There was the sun. And it's like very general things, right? You're like, this is amazing. It's predicting everything with complete accuracy. Same thing with this, this theory. It's like, remember when you were sick in December and you had sniffles? You're like, yeah, I had sniffles. And you were really, really sick. You're like, wow. How did they know? I had it. I had it. (laughs) I had it. No, you didn't. It's describing the most general things. And you're like, yeah, that was me. Wow. This guy really knows. (laughs) So so the flu could be really, really nasty. And the flu could be really, really bad. And you may have had the flu. And now you're, in retrospect, 
because you've never had a bad flu before, right? Like you've, this is, this was your first bad flu. So you're thinking this is the worst flu and people, and, and the media is saying COVID-19 gives you really bad flu. And you're like, wow, that's it. That's what I had. Um, and so that's really dangerous and uh, inaccurate um, and based on, on nonsense and, 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 uh, and works on, on the, on the thought that, you know, people are simple and you're, and you're taking uh, advantage of people's simplicity and trust in you to, to spread this. This, this is a laughable um, idea that, that, that Lloyd Minister and, and Moose Jaw are the epicenter that got the whole world um, sick. I mean, uh, first of all, if that's true, we really need to apologize to the rest of the world. <laughs> and if it's not true, uh, then we need to really uh, stop uh, spreading um, these things. The last thing if I want to say about this topic, if I have minutes or so, is that um, you'll hear in the media that there's not enough testing going on. And that is 100% true. Uh, even Scott Moe said that we're not doing enough testing yet. We want to ramp it up. Ontario Doug Ford said we want to do more testing. Even um, uh, Mr. Orange, south of the border, said there's not enough testing. We need more testing. So everyone thinks there's more testing. But these people who are fishing in dirty waters and spreading pseudoscience will take statements like we need more testing to come out of nowhere and say we need more antibody testing. No, 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 no. We don't need more antibody testing. That's a completely different test. We don't need that right now. And we may need it in the future. But we don't need it right now. Right now, what we need is more PCR testing, which is the test that we do to know whether you have it right now. So the average person who hears on the news, there, there needs to be more testing, there needs to be more testing, there needs to be more testing. Then they hear that individual talking, we need more antibody testing. And they get confused. Like, to them, it's all testing. So they're like, oh, my God, he's right. I've even heard Scott Moore say we need more testing. It, like, I get it. And so, and so these people, I call it in my video, a, um, a poison uh, 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 covered sugar. Um, you use some random scientific facts to prove pseudoscience. So yes, there's some science and there's a whole bunch of nonsense. You cover this nonsense with, with some facts and you, and, and, and you show it to people and then people are like, well, that's an interesting take. Mm -hmm. So, first of all, we've got to give kudos to everybody on the front lines who is facing this and seeing this all the time, essential workers, healthcare workers, and all of, all of those people. Kristen and I, um, we mentioned we're immune compromised, so we have not left the house in, like, it's been 35 days. I mean, we've gone for, I've gone for some blood work, Kristen's had an appointment, things like that. But what would you, um, you know, Cole's Notes version of the masks and um, the gloves, what should we be doing? What shouldn't we be doing? And uh, if, if and when we do have to leave. Excellent. So um, the, the recommendations have slowly changed and, the, and they've changed because of the prevalence of the disease in, in, in society. So if something is really, really common, um, then our recommendations will change. Um, meaning, you think about it, if you have only one person who speeds in the city, there's only one person that speeds in the city, you're not going to put speed traps all around the city. But if, if speeding becomes an issue, then you're gonna have speed traps everywhere in the city. That's no different in medicine. If the prevalence of the disease increases, then our recommendations change. It's not because we have no clue. It's not because we're like out of sort. No, it's because things change, so we change. So when it comes to masks, 
I think it's a good idea to wear a homemade mask or some sort of face covering, whatever it is that covers your face so you do not uh, speak moistly um, <laughs> on, on others. Um, I actually find that phrase to be so genius, even though he did not mean to come up with it. It's actually become very genius phrasing because it literally, it is that. The moist talking that you don't notice it, but, but you're spreading everywhere. So wearing a mask, I'm a fan. However, when you wear a mask, make sure that you're not reusing it and also make sure you're not like, uh, you know, I went to Costco. I go to Costco like once every two weeks now. I've gone twice in the last month. Uh, one of them just was like a few days ago. And what well, the problem is, uh, when people like have a mask and they adjust the mask and touch their face, adjust the mask, it falls off, lift it up, scratch your eye, this, that. So if you're going to wear a mask, I'm all for it. doesn't have to be, definitely should not be N95. Leave that for us. Uh, you do not need that. Uh, you really want me to have it when I'm taking care of you one day. So do not use N95. Simple mask, anything that covers your face so you do not uh, speak moistly. Gloves and anti-gloves 100% of the time. You do not need gloves. Gloves are terrible um, because two things. Number one, you're touching everything and then moving COVID around so we could all get it. And number two, when people wear gloves, they also still touch their face. So now like they collect the other COVIDs and put it to your face. And then finally, the most dangerous thing in society is a false sense of safety, right? Uh, imagine driving a car uh, and you think the brakes are working. So you're like, oh, brakes are good. I'm going to go 120. But the brakes don't work. Good luck. Right? So same thing with gloves. The, the idea that you think that gloves are going to protect you. So you become less careful. Uh, you wash your hands less. You touch things more. Uh, or you keep the gloves on, get in the car, touch the steering wheel. And, and so I'm anti-gloves, pro-masks, and pro-washing your hands times unlimited. My hands are so dry. Um, I can't even tell you, but that's what I'm doing to protect you, to protect myself and to protect other people that I care about in this society. Mm -hmm. So first of all, thank you for everything that you're doing. Um, and I, I mean, I'm pretty sure we know the answer to this and I'm sure our listeners do too, but what is your why you were supposed to be on a trip, you know, I'm sure you had other things planned some days off probably in the last month. And, and we know you're working hard and you're also using your platform again with social media, but what are Dr. Masary's whys? Why do you get up every day and do this and put yourself at risk? You know, there's a few things. So number one, as a physician in, in my own society, um, I am well-respected prior to COVID. I'm very well-respected in my surroundings and my society. People respect physicians. Uh, people, the government and our society compensates physicians well, we are, we live very a well life, we're comfortable, uh, we're respected, we really have the best of everything prior to COVID. Um, and I think the honorable thing to do is that you, you stay and stand with your society in good times and bad times. You can't be like, oh, thanks for respecting me and paying me well and doing all these amazing things for me in good times, but see you later. Um, that's not what honor uh, teaches us. Honor is that you when, you, when I sign up for this, I sign up for it in the good, I sign up for it also in the bad. So I, I have to honor the, the, the trust that the society has given me. 
uh, by paying back um, with, with whatever I can. Number two, I think that um, we have a huge role to play. People generally trust their, their, their doctors quite a bit. I mean, think about the things that, like I know some secrets that even the wives and the husbands of each other don't know, right? Like people trust me more than sometimes they trust their own spouse, more than their own parents, right? Like people tell me, okay, what I'm about to tell you, you can't tell my mom. What I'm about to tell you, you can't tell my wife or my husband, right? So people really, really trust us. People like, just think about the fact that people take their clothes off or unreveal whatever in front of us. That's a huge amount of trust that people have in us. So with trust comes responsibility. And I think that um, I cannot personally have a platform and have a voice and then watch my own community or my own society kill itself, literally. Um, there's a level of trust that um, I have to provide. And then finally, I believe, um, you know, there's about two parts to this. Finally, I believe that a society that's educated is a much better society. You know, I don't believe that, you know, don't worry about it, just do what I'm telling you. I don't believe in that, in parenting, in friendship, in society, in anything. You know, your kid, your patient, your whatever, your citizen is more likely to do the right thing when they understand why they need to do the right thing. So I believe in an educated society and I feel like if we educate them, it's much easier to say to them to stay home and they'll actually do it if they understand why. If they think it's some sort of order from some snobby doctor um, who knows better, they're less likely to listen. But if they understand, okay, that makes sense. I don't need you to keep repeating it. I'm going to do it because it makes sense. Um, then, then it's really, really important. And really, really finally to that point is, I believe there's always a vacuum. And the vacuum will be filled with good or trash, bad or good. Like there's always a vacuum. So you have to fill it. So if I don't fill it, if I don't fill that vacuum, then Dr. Oz will. And Dr. Oz will come on Fox News and say, you know, if we send kids to school right now, only 2% of them will die. Only 2%. It's not much. That works out to be few over a million kids. I mean, not much. And so vacuum exists and you have to fill it, right? So, you know, it's like, you know, I'm, again, I'm not a dad, but I have 13 nephews and nieces. And so you can't expect the child to just sit at home and do nothing. They're either going to watch screen time, TV and garbage on whatever, or you provide them with alternatives that's nurturing and helpful and beneficial. Same thing with this. Do people have questions about COVID? You either answer it or they'll find pseudoscience scientists and Dr. Oz and Dr. Phil and all the uh, wonderful doctors out there who are going to give you all kind of horrible information. Um, and so uh, the more I make these videos, the more demand I see, the more I feel like I really need to continue this. Um, although I can't wait for the day where I start going back to my silly posts where I post pictures of my hair or, or, <laughs> or, or like something silly. Uh, I can't wait for those days, but um, all of these things are on, on hold for now. So we really, really want to thank you for being here. And if, if you could leave everyone with one message today, what would it be? I think that the, the message that I want to keep everyone with is the following. There is really no magic, at least for now, when it comes to handling COVID-19. Hopefully that magic will come in the shape of a very effective medication or vaccine in the next few months. But what we are doing is working. 
And like anything else in life, when it comes to your business or personal life, if something is working, you do not abandon it to go and experiment on something that you don't even know if it works. What we're doing is working, is working so damn well that I know for a fact that when this is all said and done, there will be an article and a book that says, what did Saskatchewan do right? Right? Like, you know how these people are like, what did China do wrong? What did... How did Italy fall so apart? Like, you know, people are writing all these articles. There will be an article. There will be books that looks at the Saskatchewan experiment. What, how did we do this? So uh, I hope that when this book is an article is written, that you're part of it, uh, because right now you're part of it. Um, and I hope that you continue to make this province proud. Um, I love those 230 updates. Um, where our province has very number, a few, few cases and huge number of recoveries. Um, I think we only have 67 active cases at this point. I mean, it's just mind-blowing, despite the fact that we're really testing heavily. So please continue to do your part. Um, don't worry about how many ventilators we have, because we will never have enough if you don't do your part. There is not a chance we could have 100,000 ventilators if you you know, we could double them. We'll go from 50 to 100 or 100 to 200, but that's nothing. If you overwhelm the system, we will not be able to keep up. So keep up the good work and uh, do the right thing. It's working. Um, and uh, thank you very much for having me on this podcast. Thank you so much for coming. And if you want to learn more from Dr. Masri, all of his socials will be in our show notes as well as um, on our on our website and things like that. So if you want to get in touch and want to learn more, we'll definitely make sure that you can find Dr. Masri. But as we close, um, Dr. Masri, and I, I think I've cried three times in this cast, and I'm not normally so emotional, but I never got to thank you for everything that you did for my brother and for my family. Um, my, my most sincerest and most absolute heartfelt gratitude for everything that you provided in terms of calm and expertise and comfort during that time. But also as somebody, again, who is, who is safe at home and happy to be safe at home, knowing that you're out there helping everybody and uh, using, again, your platform to educate. I am so, so grateful. You truly, really are. I know Logan's one of your heroes. You are one of mine. <sighs> so thank you so much for honoring us with the last oh, two hours. Two hours. Of, <laughs> so of, grateful for your time. Of gems. So thank you. Be safe. And, thank you so um, much for having me. I appreciate it. I appreciate all the kind words. And uh, your brother is, uh, uh, is very special to me. Um, and, uh, and just for the record, he owns me a cup of coffee. Uh, <laughs> okay. he, uh, uh, you know, I think he drinks, if I'm not mistaken, I think he likes his coffee with one milk, one sugar, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> And I've got him a coffee the last time, and he said, next one is on me. Okay. So tell him to get his act together. I haven't had coffee since then. <laughs> okay, I'll tell him. Thank you so much to both of you for having me. I really appreciate it. I enjoyed my time with you. You can catch the My Why podcast every Wednesday. And please remember to check out our show notes to learn how you can support the COVID-19 Emergency Fund and to learn more about the Lloydminster Region Health Foundation. We also hope that you will check out LloydminsterMentalHealth.ca to see how our community is supporting mental health initiatives and programs here in Lloydminster, but it can also be a benefit to other people from around the world. Thank you to you, our listeners, and remember to reach out and let us know what you've thought of the cast. If you have an idea of someone that you'd like to hear on the Identity Project, a My Why podcast, let us know. Stay safe out there.